Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Gary Wilson Podcast. Thrilled to have you back with us. Uh, speaking of back with us, we have back with us a dear friend, a uh, man I've known since pretty much we were born. And uh, he's been with us on our podcast recently, the, uh, several episodes when he was visiting us here in Colorado Springs. And now we're linking with him live uh, from his office at Times Square Church in New York City. Right behind him is, uh, is Broadway, and you see the Times Square where the ball drops. And uh, w- welcome, Tim. Glad to have you back with us today. Thanks, Gary. My, the, our whole creative department turned the office into a studio so we get a chance to, to see you and do this podcast. Thank you for having me. Well, your studio looks good. You look good. Your hair looks nice. Everything's, uh, everything's, <laughs> going, everything's going well. And um, yeah, so you're, you're, uh, you, you must be thrilled uh, pastoring in New York City. That's a, what a great place. Uh, it's kind of a hub for, for around the world. Uh, or, would you say you're off to a good start? You've had a bit of a rough, uh, rough launch, but then... Uh, the church is up and running now and thriving. Good things happening, right? We've been going just for four weeks now, Gary, because because this has become the epicenter. Some close to 40,000 COVID deaths in, in New York itself. So it's been the epicenter of not just the U.S., but it's one of the highest mortality rates of COVID in the world. It's in the top five. And... Um, and so we opened up a lot later, where a lot of churches were opening up so much sooner. We had 18 months of shutdown that no one scripted for. And now as, and, and what you, you had to, Gary, because really we have eight square blocks represents a half a million people in just eight square blocks here. That's incredible, yeah. Most of us, uh, the rest of the world really can't relate to that. It's a very different world. And uh, But you were pastoring in Louisiana before that, before that, and even in Detroit. seems like everywhere you've pastored, you've pastored churches and among the people who were, uh, I guess you'd call it like a soul-winning church, uh, places where people are coming to Christ. Um, what, what kind of numbers of people came to Christ in your ministry in Louisiana and New York and and sort of how did that happen? And uh, I want to talk a little bit more about some of the ingredients in that for not only for pastors that might be listening, but for Christians who are saying, I, I would really like for my life to be a soul winning life. I'd like for my church to be a place where pe- my friends can come and meet Christ. But uh, so tell us a little bit about what's going on in your ministry and why it is. Uh, well, Gary, to be real honest with you, the my inspiration where that happened was really walking with you on the streets of Detroit. It really was you. When we came to Detroit at 19 years old from Baylor University, came to Detroit, and my first time ever out on the streets, walking on the streets, was with you. I remember the story, Gary, probably the most inspiring story that put the seed in my heart. You and I were walking, and it was on a street called Cass Avenue. They had a hard core section called the Cass Corridor. Um, and people just don't go down there. It was full of uh, drug addiction. Uh, it was a shooting gallery. It was it was a very dangerous area. And you, I was your witnessing partner my very first day, one of my very first times in Detroit. And I'll never forget, you as we were walking down, Gary, I'm watching at this time a man, a large man, walk down with his arms over two girls that were scantily dressed. Obviously... He was the pimp and he had two prostitutes. And I'm just telling you, my default program, my initial thought was, let's go to the other side of the street and so we can really start witnessing the people. I watched you go to that man and give a, and give a track. It was um, Rock Bottom by, by, your, by your dad, the track Rock Bottom by your dad to this man. 
That man took it. You said, I want to talk to you about Jesus. He threw it on the ground. The girls picked it up, picked it up, and he threatened them. But you didn't stop. You you talked to him. And, and I just thought to myself, Gary is out of his mind. He's out of his mind. We're going to get killed. My first day here, <laughs> I should have stayed in Waco, Texas. And, and here's the miracle, Gary. Two days later, we got a knock on the door in Detroit and two old ladies were there and, and they were holding this same pimp that, vi that, that in a sense, uh, aggressively threw your track on the ground and said, he got saved. He, I saw it. He said, he got saved. He got saved. Well, what you did was you planted a seed. These two old ladies came two days later, led him to Christ. He brought him to us so we can put him into teen challenge. And when I saw that day that just planting that seed of what can happen, Gary, that started back in 1983 when I left my freshman year at Baylor um, and then came from a, a summer's missions trip and it, and it changed my life. That experience, Gary, I remember to, my, to, to this day, it's almost 40 years ago, four decades and that opportunity, you, you were the one and watching you by example, put that heart to win souls in my, in my life. And I thank you for it. That's uh, well, thank you for sharing that. That blesses me to bring back memories like that. Uh, and, and as people are listening, there's, there's, you know, it's not everyone that lives in Detroit or is close to places like the Cass Corridor or, you know, the Bowery type places of the world. Some of them live in, you know, farmland and, uh, but the, the same spirit, you know, there's that powerful scripture, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. So that same spirit, whether it's in rough circumstances or your best friend in high school or whatever, you know, that that idea of bringing Christ to to people that are, are the Lord is bringing us before. And so from that from that start, you became a Christian and also a pastor who has a heart for the lost. Um, but but I'm particularly interested in uh, first of all, anyway. So in your in your church life experience, you as a pastor have somehow managed to, you know, whether it's a supernatural miracle or a gift that God's given you or something you prayed into existence at your churches to where, I remember you telling me several times in Louisiana, you'd have, am I correct, like 80 or 100 or more people come to Christ? Every every Sunday, between 40 to 100, every Sunday. And how's that happen? What, what, that's not normal. So what, what, what makes something like that happen? You know, when we were down in Louisiana at our Savior's Church, and then back up here, we brought we brought the same thing up here to Times Square Church. The commitment at at our Savior's Church, and I'm so thankful not only for people like you, but uh, a, a mutual friend from, from who, who you knew in 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 uh, probably Texas was um, another evangelist named Jacob Aranza, who had a had a burden and, and started those churches in uh, our Savior's Church in Lafayette, Louisiana. And the burden that 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 he felt that that I was just commissioned to carry on and not only carrying on here was this at the end of every service, every service, there'd be an opportunity for people to be born again. We would take the last seven minutes, Gary, and explain, in a sense, the ABCs of salvation. Uh, and, and Gary, I, I, it we would do it every single study that literally I would see the numbers because we would ask the people to raise their hand if you wanted to make a decision to be born again. We start every single service, I mean, end every service with, now I want to ask you the most important question that anyone can ever ask you. Have you been born again? 
And not only did I did it in Louisiana, I would do it, I'd do it up here. And Gary, we see the same numbers. Last Sunday, um, we had 80 hands go up in just the two services. That doesn't even count online, which, which there are dozens and dozens getting born again online. But here's, here's the key, Gary. I, we're not only seeing it um, when, we, when we would describe it. We would, just, we would describe every single Sunday to, to the religious, it would be ad nauseum. It's redundancy. Gary, you and I grew up in a Pentecostal church that you would never say the same thing the, week that this, the next week. It would always have to be fresh word, fresh anointing. Fresh. We do it every single week, and I'm telling you what it does. One... It lets our people know, and I, and I challenge every leader, but it lets our people know that no matter what we're speaking on, we will end with how you can be born again. So any of their friends they invite, they will have that opportunity. They can send the link to the podcast. If it's on marriage, I'll end with born again. If, if it's on holiness, I'll end with born again, no matter what it's on. And it, it lets our people know you can invite anyone you want to the, to the church, and they're always going to have the opportunity. Gary, I imagine you, like I, have the story that D.L. Moody talks about in Chicago and Spurgeon talks about in London of the, that when you read their biographies, the night that they didn't ask for people to be born again. And for Chicago, it was the, it was the fire that hit. Same thing for London. It was, the, it was the breaking in, I think, of the Surrey Gardens. The, the, it, it was a I think it was also a fire and they, and they made a decision, both Spurgeon on two different continents, Spurgeon and Moody made decisions that they would never let an audience leave without giving the opportunity for them to be born again. And, and I've had that. I've had people sitting in a service and I had my moment of a man that committed suicide the next day that sat in our Sunday service. And I just said, I will never have a person sit in a service that I will not give the opportunity to, to ask the most important question to. And Gary, we've seen what just even, I can just tell you, because I've seen the numbers without exaggeration. Uh, in Louisiana, um, I would say one year it was 3,400 hands went up um, in that one year. And, and I would say every year is between 2,000 to 3,400 hands um, that we would see come up. And we've just made the decision, Gary, that the most selfish thing, I think it was R.A. Torrey who said this, the most selfish thing any Christian can do is to want to go to heaven by themselves. I want to take as many as I can with me. And I want to make the promise to anybody in the church that if you bring a friend or send the link, they will hear the last seven minutes on how to be born again. Mm, I love the consistency and the passion behind that because you have to have some passion there. What would you say would be some of the ingredients that is necessary to create a culture that that type of environment where those type of things happen, you know, for instance, you know, just, uh, you know, first church of so-and-so city, if next Sunday they, the pastor gets up and says, I'm going to take seven minutes and share the gospel. I'm going to do this for week after week. Is that all it takes? Or are there other ingredients that's required for a people to become a people that care about the lost and uh, reach the lost? Well, I think I think one of the greatest ingredients is is literally beginning. You you can start a prayer meeting through this. And and here's think think of this great verse that Jesus said, Gary, when Jesus said this, um, with men it, it's impossible. With but with God, everybody knows this. All things are possible. 
the context of that verse is the disciples asking Jesus about the, the rich young ruler. And then Jesus makes the statement when he walks away, it's easier for, um, it, it's much easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to come into the kingdom of heaven. And then they ask this question right before Jesus made that statement. They said, then Jesus, who can be saved? And he said, with men, it's impossible, but with God, all things are possible. It was attached to impossible salvations. It was attached, it was a soul winning verse. That, that phrase of Jesus was attached for people to be born again. And I think you can start, it's so simple. If you as a pastor said, let's start with this. Let's ask people to take the person that you would want to see born again. Um, and the hardest case in your family, your school, your university, on your block, in your neighborhood. And let's write those names down. And then once a week, even if it was before a church service, we are going to pray for those names. One, one of the great things that redundancy does, Gary, um, and, and if you want me, I'll walk you through what we say every single Sunday. But, but one of the great things of redundancy that when we, when we talk to them about being born again is redundancy trains your people on how to lead people to Christ. So our people, I've had people come to me and say, I use the ABCs in Starbucks. I use the ABCs in an airport. I've, whatever you say on Sunday, I pray that prayer with them. And my, my own kids have done that. It, it, you're literally instructing. What you think is redundancy is really, in a sense, just good teaching. And so, and that's why I think it's, you could start a prayer meeting from it, number one. And I would just say the second thing is this. The hard part is, is going to be the first step because a pastor of an average sized church, if there's 200, 250 people are going, is going to say something like this. I know everybody in the audience. They're all, they're all saved. That's going to be, that's usually their first remark that they'll make. And, and what's interesting to me is Gary, I was sitting for dinner the other night with Dr. RT Kendall and, and I was talking to his wife, Louise. And she said this, she said, when, when RT and Louise first met, they sat with RT's pastor. And though Louise had a Bible program, grew up in the Nazarene church, all those things, she said, the first thing that his pastor said to Louise is, are you born again? And she didn't know what that meant. She grew up in the church, was reading the Bible um, every year, she said. She had her own Bible reading program. And she says, no one has ever posed that question to me. So I would say to any pastor that that they may be church attenders, but has anyone actually made that decision is, is such an important, is such an important question to ask. So though you may know the 250 that may be sitting in your church or 90 people, don't assume that everybody in attendance has made that decision. And then one of the last things that we do every service, I tell this to the people when they make the decision, Gary, and it just becomes a lot easier. I tell them, I said, one, is we're going to pray a born-again prayer. It's not the prayer that's magic. We're going to pray a born-again prayer, but we're all going to pray it together. We're all. So that it's not just 40 people or 20 people or even everybody's praying it. So it's getting into the culture and the DNA of the church that, that they are praying that every, every single Sunday, the entire congregation. And it's glorious to hear everybody praying that born-again prayer every Sunday with those 30 or 40 people. There's a lot of powerful content in that last two, three minutes of what you just said. I'm going to try to go back and see if I could catch the 
highlights, if I were if I were to outline what you just said in reverse order, intentionality, make sure people know what it means to be born again. Yes. There's clarity of that. You're asking people whether it's a coffee shop conversation or from the pulpit. Uh, you also talked about the clarity. What is the ABCs? What is the gospel? You also talked about a prayer meeting being involved. People need to be praying about that. You'd also talked about faith. You said, you know, this this thing would be impossible without God. So I, uh, those are some really co- uh, amazing core elements to, I think, to build a culture, whether it be the culture of your own family, like like your family, talking about your daughters. Uh, I thank the Lord that my family has that same culture. We share stories of you know, people coming to Christ or we're moving them a little further along, even if they don't pray the sinner's prayer or the born-again prayer, they're they're getting closer to Christ. And those are powerful elements. Faith is, and I think you started with faith, if I'm not mistaken, that that you know that that's an issue there. And you know what? You know what else I would say, Gary? I think I'd add to that if you if we're taking keywords is consistency. And let me tell you what I mean by that. Yeah, that. yeah. You mentioned is it is not only doing it every week, but using the same language. I don't I don't interchange. And though it can be, I don't interchange saved and born again, and you need to become a Christian. I say born again every single week because I do it because that's what Jesus uses. And and I understand Acts 16 says saved, Romans 10 says saved, but because I key in on Roman on, on, on John 3 3, when Jesus said, No man can ever see the kingdom of heaven unless they're born again. And then John 3 5, you must be born again. I said, Don't make don't make an option when Jesus says is a necessity. And then here's the thing. The, the key thing is just as you had a first birth in a hospital, you need a second birth spiritually. And, and so I'll keep with that same phrase out, born again, born again, born again. Because once you start mixing it up, we live, and Gary, you know this, because not only from what World Challenge is doing around the world, but from just all you're speaking it is. It's a post-Christian culture. It's. It's. You could hold up, Gary. When we grew up, you can hold up in an end zone. Um, John three sixteen. We used to see it at the the guy with the afro, um, who had all the different colors in his hair. For some some way, in every NFL game, you saw him behind the behind the goalpost. And you don't. And I would probably venture to say that back then, probably seventy five percent of the American public knew what John three sixteen is. And I would probably venture to say the opposite is now. I would say 75 to 80% have no idea what that is. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And this is way off topic, but I, when, since, you went th- since you went there, John 316 on the football placard, I have to tell you my favorite joke. It was uh, uh, not a joke, uh, actually something I saw at a Jets game. And remember, the Jets have not been a great team for a while. And I saw a sign, a guy holding up a sign that said, John 316, Jets zero. And I thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> so, uh, that's that's pretty good and pretty accurate too. I think uh, I think John could, if he was still alive, could probably beat the Jets. Anyway, that's that's off subject, but you know you're right. So uh, let me ask you this, Tim. Uh, we could either go into it, and you could briefly just tell us uh, what that few minutes of your church service looked like, or I'm, I'm kind of curious, have you got is that written down anywhere? Because some of our maybe some of the pastors or church leaders that are listening to this. They're gonna, I know what they're thinking. They're like, I wonder if I could get a copy of that. Do you have it written down anywhere? I do. I, I, and Gary, what I do is um, I have I have everything I say written down that I say. I mean, obviously, from saying it for so many years, I, I know it. But I I put it at the end of every one of my messages from the, from the initial question um, all the way through. Because I think I, 
And, and Gary, we can get that. I, we could send that, that, that all of your listeners can take that and use it. If you could do that, we'll put a link in, our, in what we call our show notes here on this podcast. Yes. We'll put a link so pastors or uh, church members too, uh, so they kind of understand what the gospel is. It's not just an invitation to receive the gospel, but it's also probably a very clear picture of what the gospel is. So yeah, that'd be great. Let's put that in the show notes. And if you'll send that to us. We'd... Yeah. And, and literally it is, it is just dealing with the ABCs just in, in, in brief, it is literally going through and saying, just as you would learn as a kindergarten or first grader, the ABCs, I want to give you the ABCs and correspond a key word with each one of those. A it's admitting that I'm a sinner, that we're all broken on the inside, starting with the one who's speaking. We all have a diagnosis. It's called sin and you can't fix it by a priest or a pastor. There's not a promise or a program that can ever fix that. Andy Stanley said it like this. We're not mistakers in need of correction. We're sinners in need of a savior. We don't need a second chance. We need a second birth. Well, then how does that happen? That's the B word. That's believe. Believing that God sent his son 2000 years ago to fix my condition that I couldn't fix myself. That we weren't born a floor model that we had, we needed assembly required that if we could be good enough or be religious enough to get ourselves to heaven, then why would God have to send his own son? It would be the worst, Gary, it would be the worst case of child abuse in human history that God would send his son down from, from heaven to earth and, and go through 33 years culminating in a res in a crucifixion and a resurrection. And then look at humanity and say, you got to be a good person to get to heaven. It doesn't even make sense. So what Jesus did was became our sin bearer and believing that, that he died the death I was supposed to die, lived the life I couldn't live and then gave me the reward called forgiveness in heaven that I didn't deserve. And then finally see, and this is where up to that point, all the religious people are all upset with me because we make it so easy for them. And, and here's the deal. When you look at Romans 10, when you look at John 3 and you look at Acts 16, the ticket into the park of heaven is an easy access to get in. And, and when everybody else is saying, well, you gotta, you, you gotta be good to get in. It's, it's, you don't get good and come to God. You come to God and he makes you good. But it's the C word that changes everything. That is confessing him as Lord. Because people always go like, what about their drugs? What about the holiness? That's the C word, confess him as Lord. Romans 10, nine and 10, that word means boss. You, you have veto power now. God didn't save us that be, so we could sit in a chair for two hours or an hour and a half on a Sunday. God saved us and changed us so we could live with him forever. That's what, that's what he came to do. And so when you call him boss, you're saying, God, you now make all the decisions, even through your word, through your messengers. Because what happens is this, is religion wants you to sit in a chair one day a week, but a relationship with Jesus wants to wants you every single day and more importantly for eternity and if you want to make that decision right now i want wherever you're at if you want to be born again i want you to pray this prayer with me and people will say well i'm not perfect you don't have to be perfect perfect people don't go to heaven forgiven people go to heaven and then we lead them in the same prayer every single week that's that's the abcs it's simple but yet you know, i think it's very profound very doctrinal you know, a lot of churches are very cautious about the doctrine they present to their congregation. That's doctrinally pure and sound, but it has the passion of the core of the gospel. I appreciate you doing that, Tim. What is your particular, not as a pastor, but as a person, what drives you to 
want to see that happen? Is there anything in Tim Delina's heart that makes him a person that why that's high valued, why you would go through that every week, what what you want to see? Is there something inside your heart? Uh, would you call it just a gifting? You're a gifted evangelist, or is there other things that are happening? You know, Gary, I I think I find so much joy watching sinners get to the next step. I used to think that I failed. Um, I failed if in one encounter, whether on an airplane or in a coffee shop or right here on the streets of New York, talking to a homeless person or a person in my apartment building, I used to think I failed. And this was really what helped me get out of that shell. That if by the end of that encounter, they were not praying the sinner's prayer, they weren't praying how to be born again. And I, and I realized, I realized this, Gary, C.S. Lewis, um, who's considered to, many consider to be the greatest Christian of our, of our generation, the last hundred years. Um, C.S. Lewis, before he becomes a Christian, C.S. Lewis is an atheist. And then through the, um, the speakings of, of other literary people like J.R.R. Tolkien, he talks about it in, 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 his, uh, in his biography, um, when Lewis speaks about his conversion, he says it was a walk through Oxford one night and Tolkien, author of the Lord of the Rings, begins to, begins to share the gospel with them. And Lewis says that night he believed in a God. But, it, but the first step was he went from atheist to theist. He, wouldn't, he, he said, I wasn't even a Christian. And it wasn't until a motorcycle ride with his brother Warney, he's sitting in the in the sidecar and they're going to the zoo, the zoo, and his brother witnesses to him. And, and it, he says, it was then I became the most reluctant convert in all of England. I came into the kingdom kicking and screaming, but he came in. But when you think about it, Lewis didn't go from atheist to Christian. It was, it was atheist to theist to, to Christian. It was a conversation with another Oxford professor, Tolkien, then a conversation with your brother. And I think the thing that motivates me, Gary, is that I would even challenge every pastor, leader, every person who may be listening to this, is that I believe every conversation moves the ball forward. And so I, I used to live under this condemnation that if I didn't throw a touchdown on every conversation, that it didn't count and I was a failure. And I realized just the opposite. It was Lewis's conversion that made me think that maybe I can push someone from atheist to theist. Maybe I can push someone from theist to Christianity, but every conversation counts. And so um, I, have, I have talked with people um, that, that literally I've shared the gospel with. They didn't become a Christian, but maybe they were cursing less at the end of the conversation. But I knew they were listening to God talk that they wouldn't have listened to before. Because here's if we're living in a post-Christian culture, Gary, the, the tool of the internet is amazing because, because way before anybody will walk into uh, a church building, they may watch on your phone. And even before watching on their phone a church service, they would probably listen to you way before they'd either watch on a phone or walk into your building. So that every conversation, the, way I, the motivation for me is this, every conversation moves the ball is how I feel. Yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly with that to see some people... They, you know, maybe they're already theists, but they don't really have much of an impression of God. And the ball that moves is 
I, I think that person convinced me that God, if he exists, loves me. And I think that's a great win there in itself because it's, they're not far off from the kingdom then if they realize how much they are loved by God and how, how they're being drawn by by the Spirit to, to the Father through through Jesus Christ. That's good news. What uh, My last question for you, Tim, um, and then um, you're kind enough to come back with this on our next episode as well. So stay tuned for part two of this. Uh, we have some more questions about the church and uh, what God's doing in these last days. Uh, but for we kind of talked about you, your heart, your um, vision, your methodology for uh, taking those minutes at your church service. Uh, what about your people? Is there something in them that they need in order to uh, ride along with you on this journey? I, I think I think the thing that makes people ride along is hearing the personal stories. And I would tell I would tell any pastor, any leader, tell the stories. Um, of people that that we've seen from different parts of the world uh send in their stories gary we had a um it was it was either opening sunday on september 12th or the following sunday um so there was a young lady named elizabeth gave us permission to tell her story she's riding in on the bus from new jersey on the transit bus she was going to play her guitar in central park i don't know if she was busking or whatever she was doing but she was going to play her guitar. So on that Jersey transit bus on a Sunday, she sits next to a Filipino grandma that goes to our church who's watching the worship service on the phone. And Elizabeth looks over at this Filipino grandma and says, what concert are you watching? She goes, I'm watching my church service. That Filipino grandmother shares, just simply doesn't even share the gospel, just says, hey, why don't you come with me that day? Elizabeth, this, this young adult in her a 20-something, decided not to go to Central Park with her guitar, comes into Times Square Church that Sunday because of that Filipino mom on a Jersey transit bus. She and who would have if I'm not doing born again every single Sunday, we, we miss Elizabeth. Elizabeth becomes a Christian, gets born again. She she goes down to uh to pray with our prayer teams because we, we do that at the end. And then she gets connected with our young adult ministry. And now she is getting connected with a connect group all because of a bus ride. And it's literally just taking a simple step, a simple step. So if that grandmother didn't do her job and I didn't do my job and everybody didn't do her job, Elizabeth would, would be in Central Park playing a guitar with, with eternity in the balance. But it's, it's when you can share those stories, then you're telling that grandma on a Jersey transit bus, Every conversation counts. Just do your job. And if everybody's part of this, I'm telling you, just tell the stories. It, 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 it gives faith into people's hearts. Beautiful. I love that story because it shows, kind of speaks to the last question I gave you just there was you know, the partnership between pastor and congregant church members is for them to be available uh, to see when the Holy Spirit is nudging them, calling them, speaking to them about their role, and to have a, a faithful church. So those are the, that are listening that are uh, members of a church, part of the body of Christ, and you want to have that fire, that zeal that uh, Tim is talking about. The Holy Spirit can give that to you. And if you're a pastor today listening to this as well, create an environment. We encourage you to create an environment like Pastor Tim did in his church, and you'll, you're going to see uh, what seems impossible with man is, is totally possible with God. You can be a a, uh, there used to be a church up in Harlem, Tim, called uh, Soul Staving Station for Every Nation. And uh, that's probably what churches should be. And uh, we'll, we'll, we pray that this uh, talk we've had will inspire some, 
some leaders and some church members to get involved in uh, the Great Commission. So thanks for listening today. Uh, join us in the next episode. Tim's going to be back with us. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, Gary. The Gary Wilkerson Podcast is brought to you by World Challenge, transforming lives through the message and mission of Jesus Christ. Each week, this podcast reaches thousands of listeners. This critical work is made possible by the generous contributions of individuals like you who believe in World Challenge's mission. Thank you for listening and supporting.